0: Hello, and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here.
1: And I'm Brent Sanders.
0: And we are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies.
1: Yes, indeed. And so today we're going to really talk about sourcing. One of the the interesting parts of getting into this world of micro PE and just in general, what we're looking at are deals. And, And so there are a bunch of different ways to find deals. And both of us are coming from more of a venture background, which is, I don't know, I've found this world to be a lot more welcoming. And maybe it's because it's, I don't want to call it newer. Buying business is nothing new, but I guess this very specific like B2B SaaS micro PE segment, there seems to be a little bit more community, a little bit more, I I would say less sharp of an elbow around getting deals. And we were looking at, from a venture uh, perspective, the fund we were part of was looking at series A deals. And that was like the the biggest thing. And so the economics around those deals are most funds, most investors want to take like the lion's share of it because without that, you're not going to have that big win. If you're going to make a bet, it's got to be a big bet. Everyone I'm sure has their own strategy, but yeah, it seems this world, it's a little bit more friendly. People seem to to want to syndicate more. So Colin, what do you think?
0: Yeah. So our uh, former coworker, a very successful venture capitalist told me very early on in my time in VC, like he had never seen a good deal from a fellow venture capitalist. <laughs> Because the best ones they show to is Sequoia or A16Z or something like that. Right. So you have to build relationships directly with the entrepreneurs or like content or however you want to do it, build up your own brand. And there's a good reason for that. When we were playing a series A fund with aggressive ownership targets and $200 million to deploy, like you need sharp elbows. You have to put all this money, like as much money as you can basically into these companies. And so any other VCs you bring into the deal are basically going to crowd you out. I would say it is different in the earliest stages, like where a lot of these kind of celebrity rolling funds to some extent are playing, Mm. where that is pretty collaborative. You have much smaller checks. I actually think it's way easier to get a a really good returning fund in those, uh, because you can sneak into the best deals. You aren't that competitive with folks.
1: Yeah. If I remember, Uh, we would aim to be one of the main checks, right? So you're trying to, to target what? 70%, 80% Seventy percent, eighty percent of what they're raising, if they'll let you do something like that, if a company will will take that, you want to be the lead. You definitely don't want any super savvy investors to be involved. And from just a negotiation perspective of saying, hey, this is the valuation we're going to go with, and because the negotiation starts so early on, right? This, what are the terms that we're going to we're going to offer you? And it's generally based on how many other people with decent sized checkbooks are also involved in what their, what their bid and ask essentially is. So it's like you don't, to, to the feedback that person gave you, it's, you don't really want other people with similar size checkbooks involved because they're going to quickly become your competitor when you go to, to, to lowball them.
0: Yeah, I believe we actually took 100% of a couple of Series A rounds that we did. I don't think there were even outside investors in some of them.
1: Then that fits the profile of the the fund that we were part of. It's you want to. There's really no point. And I believe so far those investments are actually looking really good. So I can't. While I'd like to think, and I think I say this a lot about our, our prior venture experience, I'd like to to say that's not the way to go about doing it because it seems very harsh or very different from I think how we're trying to position Vern as founder friendly and. But it is, it's been working, right, for venture. And so I don't know if it's totally different or not. Maybe just the general dynamic that in funding rounds, there's usually more than one investor. But yeah, being the only one and making it seem like, hey, I'm the only one who's going to pull you out of this, this hole. And then we're going to, we're going to help you elevate you to the, the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. That's a, definitely a, a good place to be negotiating from versus having two equally sized firms fighting one another over it, which it's just a different negotiation.
0: Yeah, I don't fault anyone for playing the game on the field. I think the market dynamics just dictate that. I think they're playing the game where it is just the game that it is. Why are people so friendly in this like micro P space? It's funny. I think it's because it's such like an early industry and there's just so much opportunity to go around that you don't, we are buying effectively a hundred percent of businesses. So in theory, a competitor can't buy that business because we're buying it. right? But Mm -hmm. there's just so many of those software businesses out there that it's not like a big deal generally. And then a lot of people are focusing on like a niche to some extent, or they're smaller or bigger. So there's a lot of deal sharing that goes around, like referral fees, finders fees. So you can make a good amount of money by being friendly and sharing good stuff that you
1: see. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. The community aspect is nice. It seems like a lot of this stuff floats around on Twitter. I I don't know if like... Places like Hacker, what was it? Not Hacker Rank. <laughs> I'm thinking of the developer site. What was the the place where we, we listed Avocado r- originally, like when we were doing releases? Shoot, what was that called? Indie
0: Hacker?
1: Indie Hacker. Yeah, yeah. Like places like that where you have companies popping up and then it's an interesting place that you follow up a year later and be like, okay, where did that go? Or did that. <laughs> When you stop hearing about it, it, it could be an interesting place to source things. I'm just curious, what are the best places to, to source online? Like how do you find this? So there's obviously referrals, which is that's who, and then there's the, what you know, which is like, how do you dig this stuff up online?
0: Yeah. So referrals are, I think how we're going to see the best deals going forward and all likelihood will become known for this and people refer to us. But this sourcing has definitely been the most opaque part of the process. A lot of people are very happy to talk about like how they're structuring deals, how they're finding investors. And then you get to sourcing and they're like, Ooh, uh, proprietary, uh, hush. hush. So yeah. people are like quiet about that, but I, I'm happy being an open book. So I have been talking to all these folks and I'll basically just go through everything I've learned and all the notes I've taken. So the first deal we got uh blink sale, we found a micro acquire, which is a marketplace and I would say is probably the best one for these like smaller SaaS deals. There's others like Flippa, Swift Exits, Indie Makers is another one. I'd say there's a lot of junk on these marketplaces, but there's some good stuff. And then multiples here are lower than brokers because it's unsophisticated sellers, but it is higher multiples that you'd be paying here than just like outreach, just Mm -hmm. like a one-to-one to to a creator or a founder. After that is brokers and intermediaries. So this is where they nicely package up your business for sale. I've, these are quite a bit higher, multiple, uh, multiples, more buyers. You also pay a fee. So the best broker here, I would say is FE international. I think their fee is like 15%. Oof. And these prices go higher and higher. So it's harder for searches like search funders or independent sponsors like us to compete with these. A lot of these are bigger deals. It's almost always all cash. And that's where like proper private equity funds are playing.
1: So is it true, would you say that like it's correctly, it's correct to characterize it that if you're hitting these sorts of places, these are generally the things that have warts on them or don't meet the, they're not like the most premium things because that's already been filtered through this sort of more legit PE world.
0: Uh, It's a mix. So not always, especially as you get to the bigger stages, the best deals just get shopped around. Cause they're mm-hmm. trying to find the highest price. So that's what an investor and banker is running a process and they're going to get a high price, a high multiple. And that's not always a bad thing. Like Vista equity is one of the best known buyout funds. It's quite a bit larger and they are known for paying pretty high prices, but it doesn't really matter if you like are confident that you have a playbook and can 10 X the business, hundred X the business, whatever. Like who cares if you play 5X instead of 1X? It doesn't really matter. And so the best, the the lowest multiple, the best prices are outbound or also known as proprietary. So (laughs) this could be like pretty informal. Okay, love your business. Would you ever consider selling? Or more formal, which is basically like an outbound trip campaign sales process, a B2B sales process with a super low conversion rate. And so this is roughly... Uh I'd say search funders spend like 80% of their time here doing this outbound sales. And often this looks like you pick a category, a theme. For example, like Blink Sale, you could look at all invoicing software and you basically make a market map and build out lists. And then you do outbound email with custom messages. And you have to hire VAs or interns to do this because it's a lot of manual work.
1: Yeah. We've done this for formulated. We just got done doing a bunch of cold. We've talked. At uh, links about cold emailing. And I think we know how to do that for <laughs> different segments. If we're starting up businesses more on the venture side, that's always like the, one of the first things that we'll start doing is cold outreach and, and outbound. But it seems like a, a, an extra hustle when it's, it's somebody selling their business. It's not just getting a customer to sign up for a, a product or hop on a call for a demo. This is sell us your baby. And I would imagine I used to get tons of emails for the agency I ran and in any business I I run, I'll somehow get on a list and it'll be some cold email about, Hey, we love what you guys are doing. We offer financing. Wouldn't you like some liquidity? Is it time to take a break? You know, whatever messaging they try. I, I could only imagine that the people that respond to those want to talk for at lengths and they've, the potential for wasting time could be, really high. That's my only, which is probably true. It's my only concern about that approach is just you're going to talk to a lot of people that getting them to make that decision is going to be pretty difficult.
0: Yeah. There's a big education component to it. So everyone thinks their baby is worth you know 10X, 100X revenue, because that's what they see the news stories of venture capital raises at. Mm-hmm. So it's, you have to educate them. That's not really what this market is. But you, you're sending you know, thousands of emails, whatever. You only really need a few to go all the way to a sale. So you will get some kind of amazing deals that way, even if the conversion rate's pretty low. And it you know, we haven't really started doing that yet, but at some point it's almost certainly worth it to put an intern, put an associate, put a VA, someone on it to just be building up that, sending out 20 emails a day or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, you gotta put it out there. Are there any other like cold... Methods like the referral is obviously, in, in my mind, that seems the best way to to get a deal. And then everyone's getting a payday in a sense. If it comes through, it's like syndication, it, which is essentially something comes into us. It doesn't fit. We hand it to a friend. They close the deal. Some sort of referral fee may make sense for something like that versus broker seems like a, a great option too, because it's okay. What you're getting is going to be of a certain quality. Like somebody is at least sees value to spend their time on it and knows it might be fit, but they're going to take such a big piece. So it, but to your point, it's like, if your plans are to, to double a business, who cares if you pay a little bit more? It's not like the end of the world.
0: Yep. One thing there, syndication means something specific here. So that syndicating a deal is we commit to do the deal and then we raise equity to do that deal. So we are the ones doing it like a referral or like a scout program is what you meant, I think, where that's like, someone refers a deal to us and we pay out some percent. As like a finder's fee. Thank you for sending this deal.
1: And so syndicating is hey, we're gonna do the deal, but we're gonna bring other people in to, to put in equity.
0: Yeah, equity debt partners, that kind uh, of
1: thing. That's what an
0: independent sponsor is. It's this like is why you have terms. this is why you have the <laughs>
1: MBA. This is exactly yeah. why we have you here. This is great.
0: Oh yeah. And my MBA I took all these venture capital classes and they would divide us up a PE, lab at two separate classes. And now I realize I took all the wrong classes I'm trying to. One last one we haven't touched on. So there's referral where people send us deals and then there's just like inbound, direct inbound or like relationships. So building relationships directly with these bootstrappers, these indie creators, these founders, that is what we're doing. I think with this podcast or what I'm doing with Twitter or blogging, I think I, I'm going to start going on more of a podcast tour. So people know us, know Vern and send us deals directly and then we don't have to pay that finder's fee. And then I've been playing around with the idea of starting a course, like a micro PE course, both for founders to sell their business and for other folks like us to buy businesses. I just find this to be about the most opaque industry that I've ever really been a part of. And I would like to be the the people that, or we could be the people to like blow it open and like open the kimono. And it is a chance you're launching like a thousand competitors, but I think your deal flow will just be worthwhile. Like- I'd rather win on being the best stewards of a business than getting the lowest price or some version of that.
1: To your point, I think we both see that there's so much opportunity here. There's not enough, like the balance right now, at least it's, there's plenty to go around for everybody. It's just, and furthermore, like just a, a general mind If you look at the world from a, a stance of abundance, like you're going to get abundance. If there's enough for everybody and you look at things like that, it's just, that's the way to, to live your life versus like, oh you want to hoard everything because there's scarcity and and we need to get all the the things maybe that is truly the the capitalist way of going and but I think we'll see more abundance by looking at things with abundance. I would love to to see a course get out there. I'd love to see more tools out there for even on the tech side. Okay, how do you get how do you get your numbers in order? Because that's probably one of the biggest barriers that. I've run into less so in buying, but more so in selling is just making sure once you decide you want to sell something, you have to start getting your books cleaned up. So you're telling the correct story and you're showing the correct numbers and furthermore that they're accurate and that there's consistency around things. Because I, I think when you show up and you're like the code base is part of it's not here and some of it just being disorganized will ruin the process. That to me is like number one thing as a an, uh, an owner. So I, I would love to like, work on more tools, more. I mean, and there is a lot out there for, hey, are you thinking of selling your business? You got to do these 10 things. But I do think understanding what happens in a deal, what are the agreements that you're likely going to sign? What are the, the sticky points of those, what we ran through with blink Sale, just like understanding liability, understanding what you're purchasing versus what you're not and make, putting that into plain English and understanding like what's reasonable and what's not, I think would be a great just resource out there for both sides, both buyers and sellers.
0: Yeah. People have done this in venture capital, maybe 20 years ago, where this is, this is what a friendly, a founder friendly term sheet looks like, and this is what it should be. And someone just has to come through private equity and be like, hey, this is, this is standardized. This is what's fair to everyone. There's no shady stuff in here. I just, it has to be done at some point. I don't know if we're the people who do it or other people are going to do it, but it seems inevitable that things standardize
1: yeah, we complained about this when it came to the process with uh, legal docs, which we see safe notes and the Oric guide. Like if you Stripe Atlas, you get the, the sort of Oric agreements that are just they're plain and they're straightforward. And it's yes, they're going to change, but this gets you out out the door, which is probably easier to do with a new company. But I guess as we do more, we should get more exposure to what are the differences between them. And yeah, maybe there is a big opportunity to create a standardized legal guide, or I, I think you were saying there was somebody who was potentially trying to work on that or trying to build a way to, to transact faster, but yeah. yeah people are
0: working on it. It's unclear. It doesn't seem like anyone is very far along. It seems like mostly like a Webflow site, a WordPress site. It's nothing like AngelList or some equivalent yet.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's a good place to play. If we're positioning ourselves as a, a brand and we're going to do this, it's, that's definitely education is one of the, the sort of pillars that I think we we would want to fall on. I don't know if it has to be a course or if it's just resources, A of course, I feel like it, it puts a, almost a limiting factor in front of you where it's like, ah, oh, I've got to get all these lessons versus like, let me just get one lesson down and, and publish it. So that's what I would recommend if you're going to yeah, do it.
0: Some variation of like content or course or however yeah. you want to package it all up.
1: Yeah. Any other thoughts on sourcing? Like how do we, I guess one of the, the questions with all these different methods, is there one that you're looking at for Vern That's this is the the one that we should tackle or is this, we just, we have to, in order to be competitive or to see deals, we've got to do all of these.
0: Uh, my, the one I'm highest on is I'm happy to just pay a referral fee. Keep building relationships with people bigger, smaller, and adjacent spaces focused on different niches. Search funders that already found what they wanted to find and are CEOs and still see deal flow. So if I were to guess where our next three deals come from, I would say they're probably referral for us. Yeah. And over time, I think it'll probably be a mix of you know outbound and inbound deals. And then, uh, yeah, I think we'll probably mostly steer clear of marketplaces and brokers. We just realistically don't have the capital. And a lot of those things are going to be bigger or picked over. That's not really where we want to play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't, I've looked at a bunch of marketplaces over the years and they just seem, I think you were saying there's a lot of stuff that just sits there and it you'd be surprised at how little transacts on them. i am talking about like things like empire flippers or mm-hmm. some of these kind of goofy sites. Goofy is the right word because it's, I, I don't know who the businesses seem, they're, they're very vague. They don't want to tell you what they do or who they are exactly. And then it's like, oh, here are our Shopify stats. And it's like, how much do you spend to acquire these customers? It's just a lot of opacity.
0: Yeah. If you actually buy one of these businesses, all your competitors also looked in depth at your business and know basically everything about it. (laughs) (laughs) right?
1: And also decided not to compete with you on it because they saw something you clearly didn't, but Hey, that's the, uh, that's the gamble.
0: Yeah. And then especially in e-commerce or like FBA. I, like all your customer acquisition techniques are known to the wider world and you'll just start being crunched down by it
1: it seems super yeah the especially the fBA world that that seems like a, a tough one where anybody can really come in and just snake your idea we I go back to my awesome Twitter thread that I did about theme park scented candles it's it doesn't take much to to come in see volume and just pop up a Shopify site and and compete. This is,
0: I think we cover most of the sourcing. On the candle front, have you thought of just picking a weird niche and being yes. like a candle for X?
1: Yes. So the monthly candle business is, is actually going great. So it for what it is, it's not paying my, my mortgage, but it's going really well. And so it's a monthly, that's the first like twist, but that's not really a niche. So the, the first niche I think I want to go after is scented candles for pets. So basically dog lovers, cat lovers, And so I've been looking into this. There is some science behind it, but with anything pet related, it's like skin deep. It's a little bit unclear. There is pet aromatherapy and it seems like pets. The only thing that's weird is like dogs can pick up on scents like 100x what you can. So we might ship you a candle that doesn't smell very strong to you, but might be strong for a dog. But that's the first niche that I was thinking of going down. And yeah, I think we're going to try that within the year at some point. I yeah. like
0: pets. Yeah. Selling to pets is, people love their pets, it's like their kids. Just, I actually invested in this company, Loyal, that's like longevity for big dogs. And I just hold some friends like, hey, you're Great Dane, seven years to live. What would you pay to give it another year? Oh, it's man. like an astronomically high number.
1: Just pulling at my heartstrings, just think of a big <laughs> dog with tough ankles or bad knees. And it's like, oh, you big boy. There, there is something mental to it. But yeah, that's the niche that I, I like. This one, I have to give full credit to my father-in-law for coming up with that one. He's like, why don't you send dog, sell dog candles? It's like, people are crazy about their dogs, which is true. So yeah, we're going to dabble in that. We're in the process of moving the business over to Shopify. I had, of course, custom built a, a cart. And I'm still going to actually... I remember you and I talking about this maybe what, two years ago when I was, you were like, why are you writing this website by scratching? Cause they, they weren't doing subscriptions. And furthermore, they, I still have to, in order to run the business, how it's supposed to, which is there's a cutoff date. We're using a system called recharge. I still have to write a bunch of API integrations so much for low code and Shopify. Yeah. It's not quite there, but I'm happy to do it. I'm, Shopify is awesome. Like we're, I brought a partner on and he's doing all the marketing and, and things like SMS follow-ups and email follow-ups. And so our marketing game is definitely getting upped in a major way.
0: Nice. Yeah. Shopify is just so far ahead of everyone else for e-commerce. Yeah. That's yeah, the bomb. Anything else on your yeah, end?
1: I think that's it. Uh, update on Blink Sale. Things are, are trucking along. We need to, I want to start sending out a newsletter. I want to start talking to our customers because I think the thing that we're getting ready to roll out is this new sort of overhaul of the the front end, bringing this new uh, look and feel. And I, I want to find a, a good way to communicate with our customers. I think that's one of the things that being active, taking over this business and, and being a little more active for this first phase is just getting that out in front. And you did a great job with getting everybody's feedback. Okay, hey, what, what do you think is annoying? What was it, what, What's the most annoying thing about Blink Sale? Yeah. And so yes. getting something set up now where we can say, hey, we heard you and we're starting to make changes because I actually... Push some changes this week where we refaced the, the invoices based on feedback that we're getting from our customers. So I want them to feel heard and feel like they're, everyone has an opportunity to let us know what they think.
0: Absolutely. I think people are going to be really excited for this new version.
1: Me too. Cool. I think that's about it. Awesome. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening.